Abraham is also like a Swiss cheese himself, filled with holes in his character and the lacks in his faith. And that's what we see in the passage that we just read. So what does this passage tell us? So I have just two points. Um, the first point that, I want, uh, that this passage tells us is the frailty of man. Frailty of man. Here's the thing. When it comes to well-known, well-respected figures like Abram in the Bible, we have a tendency to view them as some kind of superhuman who is above the fray. We kind of put them on pedestal and then we elevate them as if they are above the temptations and the struggles that average Joe Christian goes through. And we think that they are kind of way above them because they are so spiritual, so godly, so close to God that they don't really struggle with the normal struggles that we ourselves go through. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we all know the significance that Abram has in the redemptive history of mankind. I mean, he plays, plays a central role, and because of him, the whole nation of Israel started, and also the seed of Abram, that is Jesus Christ, came through his line. We know that uh, how important uh, he is. I mean, even last two weeks, we looked at how God speaks to Abram, and he obeys, and he listens to the call, he responds to the call of God, of all people, and he goes through, and so he's like the central figure in this section. We also, we all know about the story of Abram and Isaac. How can we not marvel at his faith? How could you not be impressed by his faith living up to this point? And a lot of the famous stories that we know about Abraham, we are very impressed by him. So we have this mental picture, oftentimes, that he was so godly, that even his voice was so peaceful and so measured. Hello, God. Oh, God. You know, and then so we kind of picture that when he prayed, you know, there was this angels that are, there was a heavenly music playing, and then he just has this zen-like, you know, stance and appearance before before God, and his voice is like so godly, right? Or even like when he walks, we picture Abram. If we picture Abram walk, we kind of I don't know about you, but me, I kind of like picture him as like kind of walking in slow, and like this, and it looks very like godly. Sometimes that's the kind of picture, mental picture that we have of these well-respected people in the Bible. Then we come to passages like these that make the heroes of faith human. We see his imperfections. We see his flaws. As great as Abram was, as exemplary as his faith was, he was a fallen human being. Answering the call of God, Abram, which is the promised man, after over a thousand miles of journey, starting from Ur of Chaldeans and Haran, and then to the land of Canaan. He finally arrives, and he worships God. He sojourns, but he worships God. He receives what God has promised him. 
part of the promise at least. So far, so good. He's pretty much in a good place now. As an immigrant, he finds his home. Basically, he has fulfilled his Hebrew dream. Right? By just landing there, he's settling down, getting rooted. And then what happens? There's a famine in the land. And it's surprising to read that Abram then decides to move to Egypt to settle down there. Yes, the famine was severe, but instead of trusting God to provide for him, he abandons the land that God has promised him. And um, and he goes down to Egypt. His pro- God's promise is jeopardized by his actions in this passage. The promise looks as if it's going to fail. Because Abram basically said, ah, I'm not staying in the, the promised land, but I'm going down to Egypt. There is no indication that Abram sought the Lord on this move. It was pretty much it was on his own. That it was his own idea becomes more obvious when he comes up with a scheme to survive. In verses 11 through 13, it says this. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So he comes up with a scheme. Self-preservation is a powerful instinct. Probably Abram came up with this idea to turn Egyptian suitors uh, away from his trophy wife. Right, because uh, if you read, if you go to like Genesis chapter twenty verses twelve and thirteen, say this: Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, the half sister, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, "This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother." Right. So from this, it indicates that this lie that he told the Egyptians was a half-truth. Because back then, as a brother, it, 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 as, uh, as, as a, in the position of being a brother, he had the authority to turn the suitors away, turn them down, and thereby protecting her. We see that story also in the life of Jacob, Jacob and Rebekah. When he saw Rebekah, said, ooh, I want to marry her. So what does he do? He goes to her uncle, Laban. Hey, I want Rebecca. Can I have her as my wife? But the Laban says, well, if you want to have her as your wife, you must work seven years. Right? So you had to, it's not like how it's in these days. If we say, oh, I fall in love with you, mm, I'm not, let's just go for it. That's not how it worked back then. Right? You had to get the permission, especially from the male member of the family. So because if he was uh, you know, viewed as a brother, then the people would really respect him. So that was his idea, and it kind of made pretty good sense, right, to be her brother rather than a husband. So to him, that was a pretty good plan. But still, it was a lie. It was not the whole truth. Maybe he thought 
that it was a good plan to protect them both. It made perfect sense to them both. Sarah's silence means she was in this as well. But this uh, this plan goes awry, right? Sarai, as it turns out, that she's such a head turner that even the princess of Pharaoh raves about her to Pharaoh. And there isn't anything that Abram can do to stop Pharaoh. So their plan fails, and it only brings trouble. As a recipient of God's promises and blessings, Abram fails God miserably. You see, man's plan and our schemes, apart from God, can never succeed. Even if it makes perfect sense to us, humanly speaking, if it is not led by God, then it cannot truly succeed. Our independence from God only causes chaos and trouble. It only produces sin. If you think that you can make it apart from God, you better think again. God cannot be mocked or deceived. We cannot fool God. We are only fooling ourselves if you try. Are there areas in your life that you are trying to make it on your own? Are you, seeking, uh, are you seeking the Lord for His guidance and direction? Or are you simply going with your gut feelings? Or maybe some well-thought-out plans that you may have about your future and trying to make it on your own. But what this passage shows us is that man, and even someone like Abraham, so respectable, a hero's, hero of faith, is frail and vulnerable. He was no exception. I remember uh, growing up, there were a few people that I used to look up. I mean, there are people that I used to look up to, that the pastors, and um, they would have, you know, the messages were powerful. Um, their ministry was exemplary. But then over the years, I've seen some of these well-respected pastors fall morally. Not every one of them was sexual uh, failure, but a lot of them failed. You know, I used to think when I was younger, that after they were above them, oh, these are like godly people. There's no way from hearing from their messages and their ministry that there is no way that they would fall like that. And yet, they failed. Man, regardless of how spiritual, he or she may seem every one of us is frail. We are really weak. So even Abram here, even though he's such a uh, great man, we see his failure in this passage. That's the first thing that we see. And the second point is the uh, what we see is not only the frailty of man, but the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. You know, in fact, I am glad that stories like these are actually recorded in the Bible, revealing the frailties of man. Especially the ones that we regard highly, because it only contrasts 
By contrast, it brings out the faithfulness of God even more. The more we see the frailty of man, the more of the faithfulness of God that we see. At least that's how I understand it. I am glad that Moses did not try to uh, try to omit his story altogether. Now, of course, he was under divine inspiration, so he was inspired by the by the Holy Spirit, and he would write he would write these stories. But you know, in ancient times, writers they did everything possible. They took great care to exalt progenitors like Abraham. I mean, as, as Moses, you know, the forefather, the, the, the great patriarch of their own nation, Israel, it's Abraham. So he wanted to, I'm sure like in ancient uh, documents, when you write something about kings and things, you better make sure that you write only the good stuff. Portray it in the best possible way. The best, the best version of, of people like that. So I'm sure like in other places, extra-biblical documents. That's what we see. And yet here, Moses, as he was describing the progenitor, Abraham, he includes a story like this. Not-so-proud moment for them that their forefather, the founding father, Abraham, when, uh, when did something like this. So oftentimes, these people, they would skip over flaws, but not so in the scripture, the word of God reveals not so proud moments of these great men and women in the Bible that we see. Instead of uh, instead of us putting them, uh, putting them on the pedestal, it just reminds us how weak and how frail even these men really were. It really forces us to take our eyes off of men. But rather, it points us to God, right? Because if, if the only thing that we see in the life of Abraham was so perfect, he was so obedient every single time, he was so exemplary in every turn and every compromising situation, then our focus will simply be on Abraham. Wow, look at what he has done. Let's be like Abraham. But because we see this frail and failings of man, it forces, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I thought he shouldn't be doing this. What's wrong with him? I'm really disappointed. How could he do this? And then if we may, we may, if we had this like tendency to put them on pedestal, it forces us to bring us down, uh, it forces us to just like take them off the pedestal. Our tendency to maybe idolize these characters in the Bible. Then where can we turn to except God? Because God would never do such thing. Our tendency is to look at men like Abram and say, Wow, look at him. Look at her. He was an incredible man of faith, which he was. But then, we're going to focus too much on man himself. That's why oftentimes we have this tendency when we read passages in the Old Testament, oftentimes, our focus is simply on men. And then we draw this conclusion. Oh, we should be more like Abraham. Or oh, we should be more like David. We should be more like Paul. We should be more like Daniel. The role models. But you see, when we start doing that, we then we are missing the real point. 
of the scripture. Because the main character in all of scripture is God. It is not man. Man, we are secondary. God is what comes first. Man is secondary. I'm sorry to say, but we are not primary. God is in all of Scripture. We make promises. We end up not keeping. Do we not? Can any one of us say here, you know what, Pastor Wojin, I've kept every single promise that I've ever made in my life. Can any one of us really say that with all honesty? However, God keeps his promises. Every one of them. That's what he does. And that's what we see. In other words, the crux of this story here is God's faithfulness. It's not so much about what Abram did or he didn't do. We may tend to think, oh, look at Abram. Look what he has done. And they focus on that. But that's not the real story that we are to really understand about this passage. It is really the story of the faithfulness of God. Certainly Abram wasn't faithful. But what does, what does God do? Was God so angry that he called off his promise to Abram? Abram, I am so disappointed in you. You schemed your way around and brought such dishonor to my name. How could you? Forget what I said about blessing you and making you into a great nation. Forget all that. You do not deserve this. And how many more times would you let me down? I know you would. I'm going to rescind my promise. Is that what God did? Though Abram and Sarai's scheme got them in a terrible mess, God comes to their rescue in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, did they deserve God's rescue after what they have done? <coughs> no, no, they did not. But out of his God's grace and mercy, God allows them to escape Egypt and escape. This story is not really about Abram's failure even though it is certainly a part of it. But it's really a story about God's faithfulness in the midst of the frailty of Abraham. Even though he failed God miserably, God did not act according to what he has deserved. But God shows mercy and grace that they should not have received from what they have done, based on what they have done. Though threatened by Abraham's failure, God remains faithful to his word and he safeguards his promise. God can bring about his promise despite human failures. Abram and Sarai receive undeserving mercy and favor from God in this passage. But isn't that also our story as well? Isn't that our story for those of us who are in Christ Jesus? Who of us can stand before a holy God and say, God, I deserve your mercy and grace? Who? 
who of us can honestly stand before and say, I deserve, deserve all the blessings that you give me. I deserve all of this. Who can say that? Who can say before God, you know what? I deserve salvation. God's salvation. Look at me. Look at my life. I'm good. We stumble and we fall. We fail God time after time. But His grace covers us. He continues to be faithful to the promise that He has given to us time after time. Did God not know what Abram was going to do when he, cho- when he has chosen out of all these people? Do you think he had no idea that he was, he was caught off guard when Abram did this? Of course not. He has known it even before he committed this or even other times. And yet he still makes his promise. Even though there is a human failure, God still is committed to keeping his promise. Keeps his word. And that is the gospel message. You know, one thing that I've noticed here at Embrace is because we often talk about sin a lot, a lot of people, I realize, they stay in that place of feeling guilty and shame and just remain in the sense that it's feeling condemned. But you see, that means, yes, we need to talk about sin and we talk about repentance a lot because we need to know who we are in light of who God is but then that's not where we are to stay. The truth, the, the true gospel, the gospel says, yes, we are sinners. Well, first we have to admit that. Once we know that, then the, the good news, the good news part, good news part of the gospel is that we can be set free from all the shame, condemnation, and guilt that we may feel through Jesus Christ. If you are convicted of your sin, then the gospel tells us to turn to Christ. Yield yourself, surrender your life to Christ. Turn to Him so that He can lift the guilt and shame. That He can set you free from the sense of condemnation. So often I see many people, they are feel really guilty, I feel really bad about my sin. Well, woe is me, you know, this is, I don't know how I'm going to do this. No, that's not where you are to stay. But to say, God, yeah, as awful as we are, as sinners before God, but the greater news is as great as our sin is, that Christ has come and He bore our sin. He became sin for us. He received the full wrath of God that we deserve so that we don't have to. So that instead of feeling guilty and feeling condemned all the time, our proper response it's thanksgiving. God, thank you so much that you set me free. That you have liberated me from all my condemnation. But so often, even though we say we know the gospel, many people, at times me, I struggle with this time to time. I have to remind myself of the gospel because I feel guilty. You see, but if you don't know that, then you don't really know the gospel. You may say you do. You may just uh, articulate it. But if you do not truly live it out as a person who is set free from that, uh, the condemnation, uh, guilt, and shame, that you still do not know the gospel as you should.
You know, um, there's a story of uh, in one of the, uh, the islands during the World War II, at the very end, after Japan surrendered, but the, you know, in the, in, the, in the Pacific area, there were some like uh, isolated islands where the Japan has occupied, and so but there's been a war that's been going on. And when finally they surrendered, the people that were under their occupation, they were set free, basically, right? They were, because Japan had surrendered unconditionally, they no, no longer had to just be, uh, be under the rule of Japan. And yet, all these people, because they didn't, even, uh, they didn't, hear, uh, because they didn't hear it, right? Even after the war, they would still fear Japanese soldiers. And they still lived like they were still under the power of Japanese rule. And oftentimes when I see Christians who are still like, oh, woe is me, yeah, I'm a sinner, and I feel so guilty, I feel so ashamed of myself, I feel so condemned, and this is the Christian life, well, boy, this is tough. Why should I even be a Christian? If you do not have the liberty, the freedom that comes from knowing Christ, then you are just like those people. Even though you are officially set free from the condemnation of sin, we still live like you are still under the power of the law. You still live like you still have to do something. You feel condemned, you feel guilty, that you do not know the gospel. Abram's stay in Egypt prefigures Israel's later stay that sets up for Exodus and God's uh, God's deliverance. Behind the pattern stands a faithful, loving God. What he has done with Abram in this passage, he will do for his people today and tomorrow. And that's the real story, the real message of this passage. (laughs) Though we fail, though human, we do everything possible to mess up his plan, mess up his promise within uh, every single ounce of our being. We try to mess it up because we are so independent. We try to do our things and we reject God. And God, you know, just just stay away. I want to just put you at the arm's length. I want to do things my way. My This is my life. Stay out of it. And we do everything possible to turn away from God. And yet, God remains faithful to his promise that he has made. God is not faithful because we are better. God is not faithful to us because we are doing something special. God is faithful because he has made a promise through his son Jesus Christ. He's committed to keeping his word. He's committed to keeping his promise for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So what does this all mean? Simple. Trust God. Trust God. And turn to Christ. That He is faithful. God is faithful to keep His promise. Even though we let each other down by not keeping our end of the deal, and we do everything we can to mess up God's plan and His promise, and yet God is committed. How can we not, as a response, turn to Him? <coughs> we trust Him. And surrender our lives to Him. And what does this also mean? That we need to go out and share this good news with people 
around us. You know, God never called us to convert people. You know, our job is not to save people because salvation belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. But what God calls us to do is to simply bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Now, there was a time when I was uh, when I had a regular job, just you know, nine to five, and or like a year and a half. And there was a time when uh, I shared my faith with the boss who hired me. And uh, boy, that was that was really it wasn't easy. I mean, like with coworkers, it wasn't as hard because you know you can just talk to them. But the guy who hired me. Boy, I had a knot in my stomach when I was sharing my faith with him. I was like, I was like shaking. Oh my gosh, he's like superior. And what would he think of me? And uh, you know, so I, I shared. I uh, I don't think I did a really good job, uh, but I shared. And you know, as far as I know, he never came to faith. But do I consider that as a failure? No, him coming to Christ, it is not up to me, right? I don't save him. But what I had to do, what I had to do was to do my part in telling him what the gospel says, what he needs to do, who he is. And that's something that we ought to do as we think about, you know, as recipients of God's blessings and promise. If we know that, that we say we trust God, we believe in him, we believe in the gospel message, then the, the proper and right response is to bear witness the truth. Tell other people. And may that be our response. And as we move forward in this continue with our study of Genesis, they will remember even though we are weak, Abram was like a Swiss cheese, full of holes in his character, lacks in his faith. He failed. He will fail time after time. We all are going to fail God. We're going to mess up. But let's, let us remember that God keeps His word. God keeps His promise. God will remain faithful to His promise. Let us turn to Him. Put our trust in Him. And live each day according to His will. We so faithful. Let's go before the Lord. Let's pray.